Welcome to Open Call, where I give career advice, mostly tough love to models, influencers, actors, and parents from all over the world. I try and talk people out of wanting a career as a model. I will explore the dangers of modeling with experts in body image, health and wellness, and spiritual teachers who will share secrets and wisdoms that some of the most famous models and celebrities use to reach the top of the modeling and acting worlds. Today, I'm very, very excited and humbled because we have the uh, CEO of Select Model Group, which is one of the largest and most powerful modeling agencies in the world. And we have, we have Matteo here, who is a dear friend, a dear brother, and the CEO of the company. Hey, Matteo, nice to see you, brother. Thank you for having me, Paul. Ah, such a pleasure, brother. Where, by the way, where are you? What's, what city are you in right now? I'm in Paris. I'm in Paris. I just came back from the south of France yesterday because, I mean, my son has stayed back there. But, I mean, well, we did reopen the Paris agency on the 11th already, as soon as it was possible. And, uh, I mean, Business is a little bit slow still, but there are lots of things um, gearing up for June, so hopefully we'll, it will get back. Well, and let me ask you just a couple of questions about the agency, if I can, Matteo. How long has MP slash select been around? But the agency, it depends, because, I mean, you know, like this group has become, you know, like from, from different sources. So, I mean, this the particular agency in Paris was open at Major Paris. It was in 2006. It was bought by MP in 2015, and then we did the merge with Select uh, last year. So, uh, so I mean, we say like, I mean, as Paris branch from 2006, but it was not Select before. While Select London has been open for 41 years already. Yeah, and I knew Tandy from so many, many years ago. But what a powerful agency! What a powerful agency! You guys just gobbled up with with Select in London. So, how many how many offices does Select have now to, that you can currently control? Eight. Eight. Four in the four in the states and four in Europe. Wow! So eight agencies in the Select Select network. Yes. That makes you the second, third largest network in in the in the world. We are the, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying in terms of turnover, you know, because I mean, it's really like we're the fifth group in the world. Wow. Fifth largest modeling network in the world. We're very close with the fourth. Yeah. That was my 2020 goal. We'll see. <laughs> because it affected everyone. So we're going to see like if I made it or not. It, it actually moves me into my next question, which is what is the goal and the strategy of the company, what's the concept of the company? Is it kind of world domination? Are you 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 can open up thirty or forty agencies. What's the kind of the goal and the concept? Oh, the concept is, I mean, is to get really like in the in the top three. Is I think you know, like then the top three, you know, like they go up and down and so on. But always, you know, like with maybe a different style of management that is more caring, more boutique, more caring, you know, like towards the models and their well-being. And, you know, like have really like, a, you know, like a, a close, a close relationship with our talent, which is the thing that sometimes it's normal, you know, those big, big companies, you know, like you just lose it. So this is something that we're still like striving toward. When you get so large and so big, how do you also keep it at the same time boutique and personal and caring about the kids? How, how do you kind of deal with that kind of, you know, uh, nuance of being a big, huge, powerful agency in so many markets, but at the same time, 
and I know you care so much about the kids, at the same time, how do you kind of keep it personal and keep it caring? I told it overall, it just, it's a matter of numbers in a sense that I mean, even, you know, like it, I mean, you know, like there, there are, I mean, agents who can take care of, you know, like X number of models, but still, I mean, when they have to take care of too many, you know, like in the end, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. So literally progressively, and this is the thing that we've been doing, you know, like in, I mean, in the past, uh, I should have done more, but then, I mean, still there was something to do during, you know, like the, this this pause. It was just to keep the board tight, you know, in order just to be, you know, to have like a strong image and also to, to make sure that, uh, that we have the time to, you know, like to promote and to talk with our, with our models. Which implies, unfortunately, from time to time, having to say goodbye to, you know, like a few of the girls, but that which their career, in, you know, maybe has come to a standstill or something like that. So we will need to, in the end, to, to, to part ways. Well, that leads me into my next question, brother, which is the pause. You just mentioned the pause. And my question is, how is COVID-19 affecting, let's start with your market. Let's start, let's start with the major markets like Paris and Milan. And, and London, you know, now that you have select in London, how is how is the shutdown and COVID nineteen affecting the your markets that you're so powerful in? But basically, it was uh, two months of uh, complete pause. We can say like two months. Then it was not the same same time, you know, like for for everyone because you know, like sometimes went into lockdown earlier, like Milan, and you know, the latest was London. So I mean, it's been like, it's not, was not the same, same time, but I mean, every market, you know, like experienced like uh, a couple of months of complete uh, lock, lockdown and so complete pause. So in the sense, I mean, of course, you know, like you need to, to keep, you know, like the company up. So, you know, like you need to see what local governments are offering, you know, like as a help and everything. And this was like what was uh, you know like the, the, the main thing during uh, you know like pause, and then also like to make sure that all the models are safe and everything is good, you know like and you know and then you know still talk with the clients, see what I mean what they think and everything, and then try to to make uh, guessing about the future. Well, that moves me right into the next question, which is how do you think the pandemic is going to affect our industry? as far as fashion shows, rates, and things like that. Do you feel people like PG and Micheli and Anita and people are gonna be, and, and Donatella and Mrs. Prada, do you think that people are gonna be comfortable putting on fashion shows? Do you think they're gonna be comfortable putting on major campaigns with the amount of people that it takes to put on a production for a campaign? So the question becomes, how do you think the COVID-19 and the shutdown and then now moving into out of the shutdown is going to affect, affect our industry as far as rates, campaigns, and people getting back to work. What do you what do you think about that, brother? I think that after any crisis, there will be a big concentration of the market. So the weak, the people, you know, the, 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 the businesses, you know, like the fashion firms that were struggling, they might be not able to make it. But the big ones, I mean, they will, because, I mean, having a global market, I mean, Asia is already picking up. And I know, you know, like, um, you know, like I got friends that, you know, they're in fashion, but on the, you know, like on the CEO level at, you know, big firms. And they say, well, yes, it's true that, I mean, when Europe was in lockdown, uh, Asia was, you know, like reopening and the market was still. So in a way, they're still, you know, like they're, they're navigating, you know, like in, 
in lowest waters, but they're still, you know, like still, you know, like it's it, it's okay. As an example, both Chanel and Hermès uh, did not take and make a declaration, did not take advantage of government help, French government help for employment. So in this way, they made the choice and said, like, okay, we're gonna, you know, like keep this for just, you know, like for for the others, but I mean, we're so solid that we just want to do something for, for our country, which is, you know, like we can go on for two months without this. We have, you know, like we have the cash and so on. And then also like, even if her mess is in the stock exchange as only a small part and Chanel is privately owned. So they also have that, you know, like LVMH did not, LVMH did help, but still like took some, some help because they have a, a huge part which is on the stock exchange, so they cannot, you know, like just, you know, like they try to help back the French government, but of course they have to work together. So in the end, I mean, the big ones, they're still going to be there. Well, of course, there's going to be less shows because what's emerging now is that the, the designers, they say we were so tired of having six shows per season, you know? So, I mean, the, the man never had the, the you know, like the, the pre-fall and the resort. So those two extra seasons, while the women had. And so what they're saying now, I mean, Alessandro Michele told this for Gucci, Vaccarello said it for Saint Laurent, and, uh, you know, like, it looks like Dries Van Noten for all the independent. It looks like that there are sorts that were, you know, like, either like big fashion shows or maybe with a lookbook and so on, but an additional collection that one might, we might lose. But on the other hand, we're still going to have the two shows per season, which are going to be even bigger and more creative and better because we concentrate everything in just one season as it used to be. And so, I mean, it's, I mean, it might be even like a good change in the end. Of course, there's going to be a transition period, and this is a transition period. This is the thing that doesn't make me comfortable is this transition period. Because in the end, yeah, you might argue, you might guess, you might forecast, but then in the end, you still get a little bit anxious about the future, you know? Well, what about what about the shows coming up in September? Do you think they're they're going to be, you think they're going to take place? As I, as I said, I think that shows in Europe will take place. And do you think they're going to take place? With an audience, with a, limited, with a limited audience, but you know, like, but uh, Cedric Charbit, the um, the CEO of Balenciaga, you know, like, said a very interesting thing. He said, like, hey, I have a show. My show is um, the public of my show is ten million six hundred people. And say so why? Yeah, because I have six hundred guests, but then my show is is, is being viewed ten million. You know, but single users view it in Instagram, on YouTube, on you know, all the social. So I don't consider just the 600, my guess. I consider 10 million 600. So what I've been doing in the past was to make sure that when you look at the show that is broadcast, it still looks good. So we're going to do more than that. Of course, we're still going to, maybe in September, there's not going to be any audience or maybe very, very limited. You know, so where before you had 2,000, maybe they're just going to have 300, so anybody can keep social distancing. But then, it's still, the show is going to be there, and it's going to be broadcasted for everyone. Well, do, you, do you think that the people in the front row, and the way they set up their seating, will be like six feet away from everybody? 
Uh, might be, I don't know, it depends from, from it. Of course, in London, yes, because the, now in London they made the two meters, it's not even one meter. Oh, wow. And seeing everybody in a winter and seeing everybody in that front row, but they're like six feet away from the next celebrity with their sunglasses. Yeah, that might be, you know, like it might be something like that, but still, you know, like they need, they need to, or even like if it's not going to be like a classical show, there's going to be a way to show the collection. You need to show the collection. You cannot just show the collection for buyers in the showroom. You need to show the collection, you know, like before. Before, you need to make a splash, you know, like for people to talk and for people to pass in front of them and say like, oh, this is like, the, you know, the dress that I love so much. I'm going to get in and buy it. You know? but could you imagine, brother, could you imagine the backstage at the shows with all the hecticness and all the, uh, you know, the insanity and the excitement that takes place behind the sh behind be behind that curtain with the, with the hair and the makeup and the styling and everybody having to be in so so close proximity of one another. How do you think governments and how do you think fashion people are going to think about that? Yes, you need to you need to rule out fifty percent of the locations because fifty percent of the location won't have the space, but some location they do have the space. And unfortunately, again, this is unfortunately for us, maybe if you are taking 60 girls or 70 girls for a show, well, now you only need to take 30. And they will have two or three outfits. This is the only way. So you limit. If you limit, you know, like you cut, you, you can cut by three the number of, of makeup assistants. You can, you know, of, of, uh, you know like of hairdresser is the same. Everything is cut by three. And so in this point, in this, at this point, you just limit the people backstage. You can have this one meter from another backstage that is what is required. Makes sense. And, you know, like the, the girls, you know, like they can wear the mask or, you know, like, or so. We will, we might see some, uh, this fashion season, see some interesting masks coming out probably. Yeah, for sure. That they did. So, um, you brought up an interesting point. You know, if a show uses 40, 50, 60 kids, and maybe now this time they're, you can use 28, 32, 34, or whatever the number is. Obviously, that's going to affect people like yours, people like mine, the, the powerful agencies, the powerful managers. It's going to affect all of our bottom lines. So the question becomes, how do major powerful agencies survive when they're using half the girls for the shows now? And maybe, and then my next question was going to be, do you think it's going to affect the rates? Because obviously, some of these big fashion houses have lost a lot of money through this process. So on one hand, how do powerful agencies survive during this time, I know that many industries are having a tough time. You know, the, the airlines are having a tough time. So many different, uh, you know, retail, restaurants, et cetera, et cetera, are having a tough time surviving. How does our industry and modeling agencies around the world survive when we feed off the fashion shows? The fashion shows help us create stars, and then we make money off of, you know, when the kid become a star, we, we make extra money, bigger commissions and things like that. But if they're using less kids during the shows, which is going to affect the campaigns and things like that. How do big, huge agencies, how are they going to make it? How, how's everybody going to make it in this, in this new world, this new environment in the modeling industry, brother? Well, uh, regarding the rates for the shows, the rates for the shows were already, has already been quite compressed. 
honestly, you don't make you know, like the money, you know, like you used to make when you manage your your stocks in the nineties for sure. Yes, the old, the the the, uh, the day of the supermodel. Exactly, it's it's a souvenir. So I mean, that one, to, you know, like that, it cannot go much lower than that. And of course, you know, like they're going to use less models, so it's going to be for the ages. It's going to be less money because I mean, it's less models. But that singular rate cannot, you know, like cannot go that much down and again it's still going to be a fact of concentration i mean the rates that i'm getting for the june shooting from the big brands they're the same as before we haven't gone down you know but of course the smaller clients well that's a, that's a problem that you see that maybe they're trying to drop you know like uh, half of the price but then you just say if the model is right and so on and you don't want you just say no it happened to me, you know, like they wanted to use a picture for a beauty campaign in the US and they say, this is really the maximum, you know, like I had. And the minimum I would have accepted was the double. So in the end, I say, sorry, this is still what it means. It's not because I was, you know, like nasty or greedy or it's just because it's beauty. Really, if it's a small campaign, it's still out there for a year. If they just wanted a year. I say, well, if you do six months, I could do, you know, but you need to cut to six months because... The girl has a beauty face, has a beautiful face. She hasn't done any major campaign yet. So I'm saying, I'm not going to like a grill or opportunity to become, you know, like to get a, you know, like a six, six digit contract just because, you know, like she did this small campaign. So I'm still waiting for an answer, but I mean, I couldn't. If I was desperate, I would have probably say, oh, yes, let's do it. But then, you know, like it's one career down the drain and you didn't like work to build that career just to have it go down the drain right and but this this huge hit this huge financial hit that our industry is taking right now and agencies are taking do you think some of the agencies and maybe even yourself is there any diversification maybe or is it still strictly focusing on the modeling industry when we all know the modeling industry is it's you know it's going to take its time to ramp up a little bit so do you think some agencies will kind of be looking for alternative income streams whether it's you know, influencers, whether it's, I don't know, product lines, whether it's, uh, you know, online tutorial, you think they're going to start to move into other directions? Do you think the this big, huge pandemic that our world has seen, do you think it's going to cause any kind of major shift in the way modeling agencies do business? Uh, I don't think so. Honestly, like, you know, like the influencer market is already crowded with influencer agencies, you know, like, it's not that like, like I go there, you know, like, and and all of a sudden, I, I can do like anything you really do different. And those influencer agencies, I know they've been they've been hit as well. Less than modeling because, of course, you know, like uh, lockdown was all about digital and social media and so on. But still, what I know is that the brands who invested in influencers for their campaigns, well, they didn't see a return on the sale. So that money that they went, you know, they were just like thrown away. So I don't see, I don't see really like, a, and then now with the influencer it's different. Now, you know, like with this TikTok, it's going to become more like a TikTok versus Instagram. And it looks like really like a TikTok killed the Instagram star already, you know? And it's like, so it's another social media that has complete different dynamics. So there will be like influencers on TikTok. You know, you, it's interesting that you bring that up, brother, because I, I was going to jump into that, which is we've all been shut down for a couple of months. So we've all had a lot of time to think, you know, and a lot of time to kind of go in, into, our, into our own minds, into our soul, to try to figure certain things out about our lives. And, and it seems to me, you know, what the world has looked at as role models in the world, 
your models, my models, influencers, celebrities, athletes, people like that. Um, and now we're looking at healthcare workers. We're looking at doctors. We're looking at people that work at grocery stores and things like that. So I guess my question to you is now with a kind of a shift of consciousness in the world, what do you think is going to be kind of the consciousness of, of, of the world when a, a, a model can make 10,000 bucks a day standing in front of a camera and a healthcare worker maybe makes 40,000 bucks a year or a school teacher makes 40,000 bucks a year, but an actual model can stand in front of a camera and make $10,000 or an influencer can just take a bunch of selfies of herself and it seems very, very shallow to me, but the people who are on the front line kind of saving people's lives are making 40, 50,000 bucks a year, kids, my kids and your kids can make that in a month. What do you think, you know, do you think that's going to have any kind of an effect? Or, and how do you feel about that? How do you feel about kids making 10,000 bucks a day when teachers and healthcare workers, when we really look at that situation, what, what is your thoughts about something like that, brother? Well, I think that, you know, well, first of all, I mean, the percentage of the models who make that today, uh, it's very rare. And also, uh, they don't make it every day. So again, you know, the average, then of course you can say, yes, of course, they still, you know, like they still work, you know, they still earn more than, uh, you know, than nurse. Even if you say, brother, 2,000 bucks a day, or two, even some of our kids are just making catalog, so they're making 1250 12, a day or 2,000 a day or 3,000 a day. When, when we really look at it, and a teacher makes 44 grand a year, and they work nine months out of the year, you know, and our kids can make that in, in a 45-day in a period or 60, even if there are, you know, uh, a catalog model or a commercial model making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. Do you think that, that the, the world and people are going to start to look at that and go, you know, I, I know I've got a couple of, I've, I have influencers who make a couple hundred thousand bucks a year and they just take selfies of themselves all day long. And I got a principal of a high school making 70 grand a year. And it's like, whoa, my influencers are making three times more than my brother but my brother's taking care of young kids. And, you know, and I think, I, I personally think that people are looking at that. Do you think it's, A, how do you feel about that? And B, do you think that's gonna have any kind of an effect on the industry that we live in? It has, it will have an effect on the industry if people say, well, I'm not gonna buy that product because I cannot stand the person who advertised that. So that campaign is unsuccessful that person, that role model won't work anymore and they will take another one, you know. But the fact is that is the same thing is like, as you told me, um, okay, so you can go and you can buy a fragrance in a supermarket for $5. But then you can go and buy a Cartier fragrance for, or like, or a Tom Ford one for 200 so, do you think it's fair that there are fragrances who cost $200 while there are fragrances that cost five? Well, it's, just, it's the concept of luxury. We have models because the models need to, need to advertise um, luxury products which cost 20, 40 times what the regular product costs. This is the mere concept of luxury, and luxury needs to be, and fashion needs to be inspirational. So people need to be inspired by their own models, and this is why their own models are paid more. Now, you know, like it's, I mean, there are also, and also we're talking about people, you know, like at the top of, at the top of the level of our profession. There are some university professionals in medical science who make a lot of money, a hell of a lot of money. 
and just researches and so on. Imagine a doctor that now gets the patent for the uh, vaccine for COVID-19. Well, that person is not going to make it 300,000. He's going to make billions. He's going to make billions. So there are fields where you make a lot, a lot of money. We're talking, you know, like about, uh, you know, like we're talking about the, um, I mean, the big pharmaceutical farms, they make a lot of money and they have doctors working in that. Of course, if we think about the nurse, the everyday nurse and so on, is like, I appreciate so much their work, you know, like, I mean, my mom had, you know, like, um, my mom had uh, lung fibrosis, which the effects are exactly the same as COVID gives, you know, like to terminal patients. So I know exactly what, you know, like the, the lack of lack of hair and everything that is, because I mean, she, she had it before dying for 25 years. So, I mean, we've been meeting, you know, like with excellent doctors, wonderful nurses and so on, some great, some less great and so on, but they, they really took good care of that. And it's true that especially not the nurses, the one that help the nurses, they have, you know, like a, a very low salary. That is true. On the other hand, it is true that, I mean, they maybe did two years of high school studies for that. Then the nurse did six. And then the, the doctor did six plus six plus four plus 10. So did like, you know, like 24 years of studies to become that kind of doctor. And of course he's paid already 10 times what the helper is paid. This is, I'm just saying, you know, like, and then if he does research and so on, he's paid more and more and more up until, you know, like the, Doctors who work for big pharmaceutical group would still get a lot of money and even more than our models at the top level. But, but I guess my question is: you have, we have models that are 16, 17, 18 years old. They're making two, three thousand bucks a day, and and what have they really done to deserve that? When a healthcare worker has spent two or three years or four years, whether it's studying for it and then working for people, making a quarter of that. And then I guess it moves into my next question: is is it good for the kids? If a, if a young person doesn't go through, doesn't earn her money, meaning if a, if a young person is just given 10,000 bucks or $5,000 in a given day, and they're 17 and 18 years old, and they're standing in front of a camera making that kind of cash, what kind of an effect does that have on a young person? I mean, you and I have been doing this for a very, very long time. And, you know, not that many kids turn out really beautiful, spiritual, together young kids, you know, wonderful young people who care about their community and give back to the world. Do you think it has an adverse effect if they look at their lives and go, oh my God, I'm making two, 3,000 bucks a day and I'm just standing in front of a camera and there's a teacher out there making 3,000 bucks a month and they're helping out kids. I guess my question is, is what we're doing, is it a positive thing? It, it, you know, I can understand kind of the rationalization trying to figure out why they should make that kind of money. But then the question becomes, is it good for the kid? Well, but, you know, honestly, if you say like they're making 3,000 a day, they're not working, they're not making it for 30 days. They don't, you know, like the people who are 17, they earn, as you say, 1 million a year of models nowadays. At 17, nowadays of the models, I think none. We can say at 17 now today. So, you know, like it's maybe, yes, they do to work. So, okay, they can still make like 5K, 6K net because then also the model has a lot of expenses, you know? So, I mean, it's like if we talk about the net of the pocket, we shouldn't, you know, like, I mean, just, and it's true that it's still a lot, 
But sorry, then what about the soccer player? A soccer player at 17 can earn a 2 million. I mean, well, should, should we just like uh, limit all the limit uh, all the salaries or should we uh, ask soccer players just to pay when they're 34? The only difference that I can see in regards to an athlete, and I think you're brilliant, what you're saying, it's, it's spot on. But an athlete's putting in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of hours of preparation. Not a model, not an influencer. All they got to do is look pretty, stand in front of the camera. Some of them don't even have to lose weight. And I guess my, my question is, I, you know, I, I've always been brought up that, you know, to, 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 to have long lasting fulfillment in anything, you have to go through a process. And the process means you have to earn that and you have to work really, really, really hard to maintain it. And I guess what I've been looking at and seeing is the reason why a lot of kids end up not in a beautiful, beautiful situation is because the question becomes in my mind, have they really earned it? Have they gone through a process of earnership to earn a half a million a year or $300,000 a year or, or people like you and me, brother, just giving this to them and then sooner or later, do they A, appreciate it, and then if they don't, do they kind of blow it because the amount of money that they're making is a little bit too much based upon the fact of what other people make, and then they sit there in their bed at night going, oh, I'm making 5000 a day, $6,000 a day. Is this good for a young 17, 18-year-old kid? The fact is that if the girl doesn't invest in her preparation, her career won't last long. There are so many models right now. There are like, you know, thousands and thousands. Probably with this crisis, there's going to be less than there used to be. If the model does, how, how come there are, you know, of the new faces, that the top newcomers, look at the top newcomers on models.com, three quarters of those, there will be a one-season uh, phenomenon. Even in those one-season phenomenon, you know, with the lower rates for the shows, how much do they put in the, sorry, the, the global fashion shows, there may be a girl that does an amazing first season, you know, she does like all the shows in New York, in London, in Paris, and Milan, she walks away after all the expenses, maybe with what, 15,000, 20,000, okay, for like two months, plus the casting is three months, of paper. oh, it's great for 17, but it's still 5k a month, and then if she doesn't put the preparation to study because she needs to be clever and smart and culture when she goes to work with top people. So if she doesn't put in the preparation on, you know, like on her body, on her culture, on her fashion culture and everything, she won't last, you know, she won't last, uh, last long. The thing that I also need, what, what it's important that we need to do is just to make those girls understand that they need to get the preparation to be a great model. All the models that the state, that their career lasted 20, 30, 40 years is because they have something more than just being beautiful. First of all, they're beautiful, but then they have something more. They have the personality, they have the way, you know, like to, 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 to talk to the clients and so on. A little bit like, you know, like some actresses is the same. It's not just like, you know, like it's, it's the preparation, but it's also the way of building personal relationships. And, and I guess the only question that I ask you is, is that one of the things I think is hard to prepare for is five times a day, 25 times a week, 100 times a month, 1,200 times a year, they're going to be put underneath a microscope and have their physical features judged. And personal rejection. Personal rejection is very difficult to handle. Once again, I tell you this story. There was this British girl, amazing, you know, like, 
she comes to Paris, she made, that's true, that's true. She was 17 and she, she, she worked for, then you know the taxes in Paris are high and so on. But in like in two weeks, she worked for 70, 70K euros. She was going back to England. She told me, oh, it's great, thank you so much. You took such good care of me, but uh, I'm not sure I'm going to continue modeling. I said, well, but you did great, you know, and she had like great options, you know, like she already got even like one option for French Vogue and so on. And she said, yeah, I know you've been very sweet, but the thing that I don't, that I can't stand is being judged on base of my appearance 20 times a day. And so she stopped and she became a bartender because she said, I love the curse to people, in cross contract to people, and this is the job I want to do. Then in the end, by now, she opened her own bar, you know, like she's very happy and everything. But so even that, you know, like for her, it's not that she say, oh, this is great. She's a commission. She couldn't stand this. It was too much for her. So it needs also psychological preparation. Being a model needs a lot, you know, like needs a, needs a, a hard shell. Yeah, would you say, brother, that that's one of the hardest things for young people in our industry to deal with, which is... The rejection part of it. The it is. It is a discernment also like learning who to trust at such a young age. This is why sometimes the models that make, you know, like they have, that make it the best, they have wonderful families behind because their parents taught them, you know, like how to handle, how to go in this war. My, my thing is that it's true that, I mean, it seems like, oh, they're earning so much money and so on, but it's not, a, it, it's not such an easy job in the end. It's not. I mean, it might appear, but it's not such an easy job, you know. I guess my question goes, you know, if they do great and they make a tremendous amount of money, it's it has an effect on them because I don't want to say entitlement issues or things like that. But, but you know, you start making 10, 15,000 bucks a day at a very, very early age, young in life. Um, that has an effect on you later on down the road in your life. If you don't do well and people reject you about your physical trip five times a day, 25 times a week, 100 times a month, that also takes its toll. So I kind of sit back and look at it and go, shit, if the girls do really, really well, will they ever, you know, it's kind of like if you fly first class, you know, for a couple of years, it's very, very hard to find the back of the plane. It kind of fucks with your mind a little bit. It's like, you know, it's like, oh my God, I got to fly in the back of the fucking plane now and I've been sitting first class the whole time. And when you take a 17, 18, 19, 20 year old girl, and she's always flying first class and she's always getting gifts sent to her every single day. And then boom, you pull that away from her because she now has a wrinkle. She's not old, you know, she's a little bit older, et cetera, et cetera. You know, even if you win in this game, it seems like it becomes very, very difficult on the kids. And if they lose because they're going on castings and aren't getting jobs. They're thinking my eyes are too close together. My lips are too, you know, uh, too not puffy enough. I've gum on my upper lip. So even if, if they lose, it becomes very difficult on them if they win it becomes very, very difficult on them. And so how, I guess I, I sit here and, and, and go, how do we, with good conscience, how do we put these beautiful, beautiful souls into our industry knowing that even if they kill it, it's gonna have some kind of a long lasting effect on these children. If they don't do well at it, it's gonna have some kind of an effect on them also because they're gonna look at their physical features and put too much emphasis on those physical features. I, I myself personally, I'm kind of going back and forth you know, in my mind about that. Do you, do you ever kind of think about that, brother, where, you know, you have this big, huge, great business and we're taking young people and we're putting them into our industry, but a lot of dangers in our industry, and especially now with COVID-19. One of my last questions was going to be, how do we feel 
when will you feel comfortable sending your kids to other markets as like a leader in our industry, you know, to all the other agencies that are going to be listening to this. When do you think is a good time to send people, you know, with that dangerous thing being the COVID-19, when will be the right time to send people into other markets? When will we feel comfortable sending kids into other markets around the world? And then the other dangers being, God, if they kill it, it's a bit scary, you know, because the kid's going to fucking always kind of have that in, in her mind, the way she lives. And then B, if she doesn't kill it, well, then she's going to be looking in the mirror for the next 50 years of her life and maybe not appreciating the way she looks. Well, uh, regarding safety, I mean, it's, we need to, safety of sending the models, we need to see like the situation in every country. Of course, right now, even like, I got, you know, like a brother in Brazil, you know, like uh, with my, you know, like with his, with, his, with his kids and so on. Now, I mean, I won't send a girl to a shooting in Brazil because the situation is very bad bad right now you know but i mean but it will it will evolve italy again you know like it's on the press it's like it's on the press they have a report every day so the situation is much better italy is reopening the flights from the third like january from the european union so on that for a girl to go to milan i would i would say you know like there's you know like there's no more risk than where she actually is because I mean, this thing is global. It's not that there's, you know, like there are some countries which are completely, you know, out of it. But what about, what about, what about photo shoots right now? Do you think, I mean, I don't have an opinion on it one way or the other, but what do you think about doing photo shoots right now? Do you think it's safe for the kids? Do you think, do you think that let's say June and July, Paris and Milan and London open up? Do you think it's in our industry, you know, in, in, in restaurants, you put the masks on, et cetera, et cetera. In our industry, man, we're taking pictures of people's faces. We're painting people's faces. We're, we're dressing people up. Do you think, you think June, July, you know, no matter what the government says, when do you think it's going to be comfortable for us to send our kids to get their faces painted, to, to, to be a part of fashion productions? What, what do you, and what does our industry think when it's going to be safe? So in a, if in a country, an hairdresser, a private hairdresser, can be open with the mask and everything, which is what is happening in Italy and what is happening in France since May 11th. So if a woman can book an appointment with the hairdresser and getting her hair done, so can a model. It's exactly just an hairdresser. And the same like, and for makeup, the makeup artist will wear disposable gloves that will use only once and then throw away, will wear a mask, and it just, you know, like, and, and, and she just stays there. So basically, there is no risk. And that model dresses herself. This is what they're doing now on the shooting. Everybody says, so the model doesn't have, you know, she dresses herself. They just do the, the makeup. They tend to do very light and so on. And sometimes no makeup. And they're just going to do like with photo shoots. What they're doing with the clients here, most of the time in Italy, they get the girl tested before. And everybody was on, was on set as tested in the past 48 hours. So they had a test already. They don't have COVID. They're using the precautions in case the thing, you know, like was the, 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 there was a contact in the previous like 48 hours. So all the precautions have been taken, you know. But I mean, we're talking, I mean, in countries where, I mean, kids can go back to school, you know, like in some countries and... Uh, and then, of course, and yes, a girl can do a, a photo shoot, and the photographer will always be more than one meter far. So, you know, like, there's no problem and for the photographer with a mask. So, if all the precautions have been taken, then I guess, you know, like, and also we need to 
take into consideration, the models, they're still structured as independent workers. So whenever they don't want to do a job, they want to refuse and so on, they're, you know, like free. It's not like an employee where like, you know, like you could say either you do it or you're fired. The model can, you know, like can refuse the job. Yeah. It's so interesting. You see, you know, you're, you're explaining to me how the, the, the shoots are going to be taking place. And I, I'm sitting here in my mind thinking about it going, oh, my God, could you imagine hair and makeup people with gloves on and with masks? Like that, it's like here in, in the city, like in Paris, everything is like that. You know, like you can see like people queuing at one meter from another. You know, like for to take a loaf of bread. It's like that. Uh, last, I'll, I'll end with this. You know, a quick thirty-second story. My sister, Elisa, she has a camp for six hundred kids in Pennsylvania, and, and and she owns a big piece of the camp. Like, but her partner, but her partner owns thirty camps, and it's all for little kids, six hundred kids. And in Pennsylvania, the, govern, the government has basically said, shut down. You're not allowed to open it up. But the partner, who's the majority partner, is like, you know, those 600 kids, that's $6 million over a, over a six-week period. We're not losing $6 million bucks. Open up the fucking camp. My sister's like, I ain't opening up the camp because, you know, I run it. And if one kid gets fucking sick... You know, I, I don't know if I can live with myself if one kid gets sick. So she may lose her whole camp. She may lose six million bucks this season and her business because she just doesn't morally want to put a kid into that world. I don't know what the right answer is. I, I, I have no idea what the right answer is. Maybe you grow up with just two hundred kids. But once again, if one kid gets it, brother, to keep the, and so to keep the social distancing. The problem is that it's difficult with kids to you know like to keep the social distancing. You know. Yeah, but I guess the whole question comes down to, which once again, there's no judgment whatsoever on anybody, but I think it, it's, it comes down to, you know, bottom line money. Number two, our freedom that we all deserve so rightfully, so our freedom, and then three, being super, super safe. And it's, it's hard to kind of um, live those three worlds, you know, one, being able to keep a roof over our head and we have a responsibility to our business, B, we do have a responsibility to young kids. Um, and then see, we, we, we have our own freedom. So it's, a, it's an interesting dilemma that the world is going through right now, because even if our industry does open up, we won't know of the danger it truly causes for three or four or five months later on down the road. So it's kind of a, a little mini crapshoot. Well, we know in two weeks, as this is the exactly same thing they did with the reopening. The only reopening from the lockdown, they're partial. They not like saying, okay, we're reopened for good and for sure. They say, hey, you got the R ratio of you know contagiousness. If that ever goes below be, uh, up from one, we're gonna be in lockdown again. So this is constantly monitored by governments, you know. So I mean, it's like it's less risk to do a photo shoot than honestly to to queue up to take a lot of bread, <laughs> you know. Like in, like in a way, I was I was in you know in the south of France and I was like getting you know like my ice cream at an ice cream shop and you know and we were like everybody was a, a meter and a half on the queue well the two kids they came they came from the side that were not my kids and I was like well you know I turned and then the father took like 10 minutes to realize oh it's true there's social distancing oh come here I could have like I'm not gonna slap my kid you know they're not my kids but this is the thing so moment well if i had coughed on the kids they could get and then for the kids it's not really dangerous i mean because the kawasaki is uh, and so but they could have like brought it home and you know like and get it to, to their parents 
but in a way, just like a matter of a distraction. But on the other hand, so what are you going to do? You're not, the lockdown is over, the kids have been two months, you know, like in the apartment, you don't go out on a sunny day to buy him ice cream. On the other hand, we still need to go and live because if these to live, there are other things that are poverty, depression, that might be as awful as COVID-19. I'm not saying let's do, you know, like all together, you know, like let's hug. It's not the time to hug again. It's the time to see each other with the right social distancing, but we need to live again. Because otherwise it would just, you know, like, uh, you can see now models when work, when they have a job, they're happy to do it because they've been like in lockdown for two months. And this, I feel alive again. You know, major agencies around the world have been shut down for a couple of months. And obviously they're going to slowly but surely start to ramp up and start to do business again. Do you think that we're going to see, like we're seeing in a lot of other industries, some, some of these agencies defunct going out of, in, going out of business. Some of these big agencies have, who have overhead of three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars a month. I'm sitting back looking, going, how, how the hell are they going to survive if they're out of business for two months or three months? And then it's still a slow ramp up. How do they keep their top agents? How do they stay in business? How do they continue to survive over, you know, I can say two months, but three months and four months and five months. How are some of these big, big, huge power agencies going to keep the lights on? Again, I think, you know, like there's, there's still going to be a concentration even in our industry. As I said, for the fashion kind, there's still going to be in our industry. If people were strong, who have, you know, like who were financially stable, they could tolerate, you know, like the, you know, like the, the, the lower lowering of the business for three, four, five, you know, like it's, it's not going to be zero, but it's going to slowly ramp up and so on. The ones who were in trouble before, well, they just, they just, you know, they just won't do it. You know, you know New York agencies, I already had some New York agents, you know, we don't have an agency in New York, some New York agents calling me and so on and some, some they're going to be laid off. That's true, you know. Do you feel a couple of those New York agencies are going to possibly possibly close down just because they're not going to be able to financially be able to deal with the stress of, of what's taking place? Yeah, that, that might be. Because especially, you know, like what I'm afraid more, it's more like the New York market. Because in the New York market, you know that the agents, they have these sky high salaries the rent is incredible and so on. So if they don't have a strong backer behind, there's going to be, you know, like it's going to be uh, some problems. Yeah. Hey, Matteo, taking so much of your time, you have no idea how much I, how my listeners appreciate it, you know, to understand what's happening, you know, in the modeling industry because of COVID-19 by somebody, a leader in our industry, somebody like you, you have no idea. You have no idea, brother, how much I appreciate it. There's one thing, going back to the question about, you know, there is actually the young girls and so on. What we need to acknowledge also is that 10, day, 10 years ago, the girls would really start at 12 years old, at 13 years old and so on. And that was a way earlier because then, you know, manage rejection and so on. Now already, nowadays, the clients, half of the client, they just take girls from 18 up and the rest from 16 up. So, when that the girls they're not so young, they're of course they are a little bit more prepared. Then you have sometimes a seventeen-year-old girl that is more mature than a twenty-four, and by you know like uh, 
for 24 years old and vice versa, that of course. But at least this, I mean, the industry made a big progress on this, and we need to acknowledge it. I think it's, listen, when they put that new rule in, that's 16, 17, 18 years old, fashion shows and things like that, and even when they put the new rule in about your weight and things like that, they're moving, they're obviously moving in the right direction. And with people like you in the industry, it's moving in the right direction. I, I just also believe in my humble heart that there's certain things in our industry. You, you, you know, whenever you take a young girl or a young boy and they're making X and X amount of dollars, you know, and, 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 and they haven't really worked their asses off to earn that size of a paycheck. Sooner or later, I think that plays tricks on the kid's mind. I think living underneath a microscope having and putting so much emphasis on their physical trip all the time, sooner or later, that will take its toll on the young person. And I guess my goal is just to make sure that the whole world knows as they're putting their foot into the modeling industry, they have to be careful. They have to understand the dangers that it can be a very a business that can have a, a long-term effect on these young kids. And, and those are kind of things that I like talking about and bringing to the surface. That's all just because I think when, when people are aware of those things, at least they can be, they can go into the business, not like Stevie wonder. They can not go in blinded blind. They can go in understanding what to be careful for. And parents can understand what, what their kids are going to go through. Not just, you know, um, the, the things that, you know, the, the over-sexualization and all the drugs and all the various different things that people think are, are, in, are, are in our industry, the true dangers are of our industry are things that, that you and I just discussed. Psychological burden, the psychological burden of the job, which is one of the, the highest. She's one of the highest. Again, they're not like, you know, like digging a, digging a cave in a mountain, you know, like, or a mine in the mountain, but they are, you know, the psychological burden is, is heavy. It's something that they need to be prepared for. This I'm a hundred percent. This is also why we need to keep, you know, like, a tight roster in order to be able to help them as much as we can. That's right. That's why I've always thought of you as a very, very good man because your heart is always such a beautiful place. And, and uh, just, I watch the way you treat young people, brother, and you are one of a kind. Bottom line. Bottom line. You make, you make me cry the way you treat young people. You, you care about them. You put their needs in front of your agencies. It's, it's impressive, beyond impressive. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Thank you so much for your time, and I love you. Have a beautiful week. Okay, bye-bye. Enjoy my love, my brother. Thanks for listening to Open Call. This is your career, your life. Be bold and dream big. If you'd like to receive career advice from myself, please go to paulfishershop.com forward slash career advice.